Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the wonderful documentary, Judy Bloom Forever. We are joined by directors and producers, Davina Pardo and Leah Walchok. And one of the first things I wanted to talk about is the fact that when, um, you know, Davina, you were the first person to kind of come up with the idea of this documentary and to approach Judy herself. And I think it's so interesting that she had a hesitation to saying yes straight away because she knew that she would be all in and it would be something that she would really want to give her time and her, her whole self to. Um, but over the fact that, in essence, the two of you were ideating on this and, and Davina, I know you were right before in person. Um, I was interested in how that kind of constant communication and just seeing the way that she stayed in touch, even when she wasn't planning on saying yes to the project, helped to kind of build up even more of an idea of who she was in her life and informed aspects of how you both wanted to tell the story on film. It's a great question. I mean, I think it was interesting to start up a relationship with Judy by email. Um, I wasn't thinking about this so much at the time, but now, you know, learning about the relationship she had with readers and the letters that she wrote with readers, it feels so appropriate that we started out sort of as pen pals in a way. Um, and yeah, I think part of her decision-making process was getting to know me over this long period of time. So that was really the beginning of our relationship was getting to know each other via email. And then even when she said yes, because she said yes to the project right before the pandemic started, it was February, 2020. Leah and I had an entire year of more getting to know Judy by email and on zoom. And, you know, she was doing a lot of zoom events at that point because it was leading up to the 50th anniversary of, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. So Leah and I were tuning in to all the events she was doing and doing a ton of research and reading and rereading her books. So we had more time than we normally would to prepare for our first shoots and our first interview with Judy. And that really allowed us to sort of early on think about how we were shaping the film, which of her books might be included in the film, what the shape of the interview would be. So we came into that really armed with so much information about, you know, all the interviews she'd done over time. We were watching everything we could on YouTube. I've never been that prepared for an interview, I don't think, <laughs> which I, you know, I guess could be a blessing and a curse. Sometimes it's nice to go in with like, a lot of unknowns, but I think in this case, it, it really helped us. And I think Judy appreciated that we were, she jokes, you know, you guys know more about me than I do at this point. She, yeah. And for you, Leah, how did that extra time in terms of researching and, and really kind of developing and fleshing out the project with the extra time that you had help you as you went into it? Well, first of all, I finally got to read her books because unlike Davina, I didn't have a deep childhood connection and nostalgic connection to her books because of where and when I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida in the 80s. Judy's books were seen as taboo and inappropriate, and I internalized a lot of the shame surrounding periods and puberty and girls' bodies, women's bodily autonomy, and I didn't read her juiciest books. That long development period allowed me to finally understand what all the fuss was about because I hadn't, I had read Freckle Juice. That was it when I was a kid. We had a copy, actually my best friend's copy. For some reason I found in my parents' closet of otherwise known as Sheila the Great from 1978. It was in my closet. I don't think I ever read it. My brothers must've read it. Um, so that long development period was a, a chance for me as an adult to connect to 
the characters in Judy's books, the child that I was and the child that I could have been had I read her books. And I was also introducing the books to my own kids who were in third and fifth grade at the time and stuck at home and doing Zoom school. And I gave them a whole, you know, they had their homework assignment, which was to read every every Judy Bloom book in the Judy Bloom canon, um, except forever. I didn't give them forever when they were in third and fifth grade. I probably could have, but I didn't. Um, and so I think I got to know her work. I got to understand the deep connection that that so many you know, readers, generations of readers have to Judy's work. And also we watched a lot of documentaries. I mean, this, it was sort of like, it was film school. It was, we watched a lot of coming of age stories. We thought about the meaning of coming of age. We thought about this, you know, how we could structure this film as this feminist coming of age story of a woman who pushed back against societal expectations from the time she was a kid until now and she continues to push back against expectations and her you know and her challenging censorship today as as an 85 year old living in Florida um so i think it was like it it was so many things it was it was like a literature class it was film school it was a chance to like sit on the phone and breathe with divina for hours at a time um and it was also sort of an escape because it was the pandemic and there was so much anxiety in the world that we were both experiencing and the whole world was experiencing was like an escape back into this moment of anything is possible you know um that moment of the cusp which is judy's sweet spot the cusp of adolescence you know her character she loves those characters who are 11 12 right about like on the precipice of change and i think getting going back to that time while my own kids were about at that time i think was also kind of a beautiful escape from the anxiety of the pandemic. And it's so interesting that the two of you came with such different lenses and experiences of her books, because one of the really beautiful things about the film is the fact that, you know, if you grew up with her books and you're a huge diehard Judy Bloom fan already, the film still gives you so much beneath the surface to learn and get to know about her um, and her world beyond her writing. And equally, if you've never read one of her books, by the time you finish the film, you immediately want to start picking them up and reading them. And so was there a consciousness on your part of making sure that you were, you were speaking to both of those spectrums of the audience and, and kind of everything in between? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we were always, you know, I think we knew like our first level audience was people who, people who knew the word, people who had grown up reading the books, but that there are also hopefully, and there have been, you know, been people watching the film who didn't read the work and how do you speak to both at the same time? So with every, you know, every, every book we were talking about in the film, it was like, is this too much in the weeds? Is this something that only like the most diehard super band who's read this book 20 times is going to be interested in? And so what is the essence of this book? How does it, connect to Judy's personal story. And it was always about where do the books and Judy's personal life intersect and how are they talking to each other? How are they in conversation with each other? And then alongside that, what is the experience of the reader? So it was definitely an ongoing conversation. It's so important, right? You don't want to lose the people who haven't read the books, but you want to satisfy, like you want to satisfy the fans who know the books so well. So that was, yeah, that was a really important conversation that we were having throughout. And we had a mix. I mean, we definitely had, and it was super, obviously, super helpful to have Leah's perspective coming in fresh and not having that sort of deep nostalgic connection. And then there were a few other people on our team who maybe had read one or two of the books, were familiar with it, but weren't 
super fans. So we sort of ran the gamut, which was really helpful. And in, in terms of the way that the film contextualizes each of these time periods, because obviously she wrote books over several different decades, and I think you've done a great job at really contextualizing for the audience what was the social and political landscape at the time that these books came out at each point, to really also understand how groundbreaking the things that she was writing about and the, and the openness and honesty of her books has been over the years, um, even up to the present day and the influence and impact that it's having, because they're still on bestseller lists consistently, um, and they're still the most banned books everywhere at the same time um and so what was that that journey of developing the film going through production and editing and making sure that you were still always giving the audience the contextual information behind just it being about Judy and her world I mean I think from the time we were first talking about how we could structure the film we knew we had to bring in those like social movements of the 50s 60s 70s and 80s and we really didn't get into the 90s 2000s we sort of jumped a few decades to where we are today um we just you know there're only there's only an hour and a half there's only 90 minutes of film one can watch it wasn't going to be a series so we knew we had to contain it somehow and because Judy wrote the bulk of her work in the 70s and 80s but we but there's one period that we really didn't get into that we wished we could have and that is the civil rights movement in the 60s i mean Judy's very first chapter book was Iggy's house and she she told us she felt like she was very naive in writing that book the book is about of a very white suburban community and one black family moves onto one block and how the neighborhood responds. And it's told from the perspective of one white girl trying to awkwardly and making a lot of mistakes and trying to and trying to include this the, these three black kids in this family into her life and into her neighborhood. Um, and Judy wrote the book because she was hearing what was happening on her suburban cul-de-sac and the way people were talking in her very white suburban cul-de-sac and hearing the way people were talking about the riots in Detroit, the riots in Newark and feeling a lot of fear and a lot of you know misplaced fear and misguided racism really. Um, and that was the, I think that was the first chapter book that really came out of a social movement that she was responding to, but the book has not gotten a ton of attention. We ended up not putting a ton of material about the book into the film, but we talked a lot to Jason Reynolds, one of the authors in our film about that book, and he described it as Judy's masterpiece and wishes that, you know, pe more people would read it. So um, then we get into the 70s and the women's movement and Judy feels like she was sheltered and again, she was like sheltered in her suburban cul-de-sac watching sort of change take place in the, in the cities with women marching for abortion rights, for equal rights for women in all areas. And she says, you know, she wasn't out there marching, but she just stayed home and wrote as if that wasn't a radical act. It was so radical for her to write these characters, these stories about, you know, two 18 year olds who fall in love and decide to have responsible sex and a 18 year old girl who feels pleasure and describes the physical pleasure she experiences while having sex. That was incredibly groundbreaking. Came right out of the, you know, women's rights movement in the seventies. With Reagan elected in the eighties, we had this rise of conservatism. You don't want me to go through the whole film and every, every decade and how it influenced Judy's writing and the response to Judy's writing. But we, we always knew that there was this interplay between what was happening in America and what Judy was writing about and how, even if she felt like she was just little old, Ju you know, little young Judy, I guess, sitting in front of her typewriter, writing these stories, they were revolutionary. 
Absolutely. And and when it came to filming the interview pieces with Judy, um, it's wonderful in the way that it's not just talking head interviews throughout the, the film, but also we get to kind of see her in the kitchen with her daughter and the two of them kind of talking together and even just having her and her partner George interviewed together and then getting to look at the way that she's watching George and just absolutely beaming while he's talking about when they first met and got together, you know, gives us so many more layers. Um, and so what was behind kind of coming up with the spaces and the ways that you were going to film with her to make sure that it never felt completely static and it wasn't just talking heads so that we could get kind of those extra layers of depth that we do. I think our challenge there was that it was, you know, most of our shooting was done during what felt like it was still pretty early on in the pandemic. So Judy wasn't out in the world as much as she might normally be. So any opportunity we had to film Judy with her family, out engaging with people in the bookstore, we took. I mean, we always knew that we wanted we wanted to capture who she is outside of, you know, the frame of, of an interview. It's so important. I think it adds so much in any film, right? That you don't just want to see a person in an interview frame. Um, so yeah, her, I mean, even just biking in Key West, I think just seeing seeing Judy on a bicycle said there's so much to it, right? It sort of captures her essence. Um, we filmed a lot in the bookstore. Everyone's wearing masks. And I, you know, I remember feeling a little concerned, like, how is that, how is that going to translate? It's so hard. I feel like filmmakers, we need to be talking more about this. It's so hard filming people wearing masks. And I think thankfully we've sort of gotten past the point where everyone's in masks, but that was a real challenge. People are so emotional. I remember when we were filming it, feeling like, oh, like I can feel it. Like the emotions coming through, even though everyone's masked. So we were able to use some of that footage, but I think had it been, you know, pre-COVID times, there would possibly have been more of that footage in the film. So, I mean, we wanted to just spend as much time with Judy as we could in whatever she was doing. And she happened at that point to be spending a lot of time at home in Key West. So we were really happy to have the chance to spend time with her and George and capture sort of the essence of their, their relationship and then be outdoors with her in Key West as well. And one of the other things that tells us so much about her are the letters that she's exchanged with readers of hers over the years and the fact that she has pen pals where they've been writing to her since they were children. It is such beautiful relationships and even just, you know, the story about her showing up to someone's graduation because their parents weren't going to be there and kind of what that meant to her. And, and that tells us everything about Judy. At what point did you discover not only the fact that she'd been corresponding with people over all these years, but that, you know, she's kind of really taken the care to archive and hold on to every single one of these. Cause even just seeing all the boxes in that room gives us a sense of, you know, the protectiveness and, and the specialness that she feels in every single letter she's ever received. I think when I met her for the very first time, she told me that the letters were at Yale. Maybe I, I, through research, I knew, but I think she really started to fill, it, fill that out for me the very first time we met and explain that there were some readers that she had been in touch with over decades and that she had kept so many of the letters. And she's, she's told us recently, she doesn't, apparently, she doesn't keep anything. You know, she's not the kind of person who holds on to every document, every draft. And so the fact that she held on to all those letters says so much about how much they meant to her. So when, you know, after that first conversation, I, I went to Yale just to kind of get the lay of the land and see what was there. And it's, I mean, you could spend months in that archive going through letters and the letters we should say are very strictly protected to protect the privacy of the letter writers. 
but you know, we we have been able to get access to them. And Judy was really helpful in putting putting us in touch with two of the letter writers. So she's had these long-term relationships with us. I mean, it felt like such a beautiful example of how deep her connection has been with readers over so long and how deep their connection was with her, you know, that she was the person that they chose to turn to again and again and again was so profound. It is. And and when it comes to moments in the film where she's reading excerpts from some of her books at different moments. I was interested in, in whether that came from conversations that, that you were all having together or in kind of saying, you know, oh, we'd love to really highlight this passage. Um, or if some of it was also her saying, you know, I think this is a great example of what I'm talking about and just kind of like pulling to certain examples. Cause like, you know, there's certain passages that she's read from her books over the years, but then like the moment where she reads from Tiger Eyes, I, I believe was something that she hadn't really done before. And, and you see the emotion that that brings and so I was just interested in kind of like how you landed upon which excerpt she ends up reading and and referring to throughout the film oh it was a process we had um documents that were full of potential passages we like to exhaust every option before we make a decision which I think is a process that we probably evolved a bit over time and we realized like we needed to make some quicker decisions but because that initial development period allowed us that room for you know a lot of research before we made decisions I think we kept that sort of philosophy going throughout the course of the making of the film but when we finally landed on the excerpts that we thought would service the you know the parts of the film and we were looking for excerpts that sort of intersected with moments from her life that would sort of show how her work was in conversation what was what what was happening in her life and what was happening in the world at the same time and so when we presented her you know, we gave her a list will you read these and actually the first time we did it I don't think we warned her I don't think we warned her the first time we, we had her read twice and the first time we did not warn her. We just, one after the other, had a stack of books. Here, now read this. Here, now. I mean, it was, I don't, I don't, I'm not very proud of how we handled that. But of course, Judy handled it with such grace as she did everything we asked of her. Um, she comes to it with her full self and with so much warmth and enthusiasm. And so I think the tiger eyes might have caught, caught her off guard a little bit. At least her emotion caught her off guard a little bit. I mean, she had described how it, it wasn't until later that she realized tiger eyes was really about the death of her father and about the profound loss she experienced when he was no longer in her life and how, how she processed that grief. But it was so present that day when we asked her to read from that. It's just the opening chapter. It's just the opening page of the opening chapter of the book. But so much is in that scene, you know, watching her father's body being lowered into the ground. And so many physical details. She describes the sweat droplet, you know, trickling down into her bra and the feeling of her feet and her shoes on the grass um, of the cemetery. So I think, it, yeah, I mean, you asked about the process. It was definitely a process of coming of, coming to that, we just threw some passages at her and she agreed to read them. And then once we were very close to finishing the film, we realized we needed some different passages. Um, I would say close to finishing like a rough edit. And um, she had some thoughts about which passages worked and which passages didn't work. And she added some passages um, from books, at least in, in, the, in the reading of them. I'm not sure we ended up actually using those passages that she added in the film, but it was a, it was more of a conversation towards the end of the film, I would say. 
And, and similarly, you also have passages and, and moments that are being read and moments that are being recalled by other interview subjects in terms of them talking about what it meant to them growing up. And so was that more them coming to the table and saying like, oh, I remember this really meant something to me? Or was it kind of a, a similar process of having certain passages that you felt were important to, to look at throughout the film as well? I remember, I think in every case we asked people to come in with a a passage they wanted to read. So they they were choosing the passage and it, you know, in some cases the passage passages were from books that ended up not being in the film. Uh, in some cases they were sort of iconic ones that we ended up doing anyway. And then we also had everyone read the first page, a couple different excerpts from Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Because we knew we wanted to have this chorus of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret when that book comes out and who defines her audience and you see the impact it's having on readers. At some point we thought we might have those other interviewees, those readers, as we called them, doing some of the extra readings. But in the end, we realized Judy's such a wonderful reader. It made sense for the book passages to stay in Judy's voice throughout the entire film. So you don't see a lot of those, you know, those favorite excerpts that people chose. You end up not seeing most of them, but we did have them do them. It was really fun to see what people picked. And it also often was a great way, sort of sparked a conversation about what the work meant to them. And it, it's such a, a wonderful group of people that you've brought in to talk about the meaning of her work growing up in terms of when you look at the creative scope and the stories that they've told through their careers as well. And um, it sounds like that came from a myriad of places in finding voices, like looking at Pen15 and kind of just having this sense of, they must have read her books growing up in order to create a show like this that must have impacted it somehow, you know, or the research side with Samantha B, where she'd interviewed her for an event previously and seeing the introduction and the way that she spoke about it. Um, and so how was it kind of this combination of people that you already had a sense or, or kind of knew were fans of her work and then kind of using that extra time that you were talking about at the beginning to be able to really go online and do a lot of research and dig around to see who might be fans of her work that maybe you wouldn't have known about straight out of the gate. I think there was a week that we were just plugging into the Google search bar, like a name of an actor we were obsessed with and Judy Bloom, and seeing if anything like popped up and often something would pop up. Um, I think because of the pandemic, it wasn't as everyone, everyone wanted to be a part of the film. Everyone had, you know, a deep connection to Judy's work that we had discovered, but not everyone could because of the pandemic and because of schedules could be interviewed. So um, there were definitely people who we thought we would love to have them contribute their perspectives to the film, but they just couldn't because of their own shooting schedules. Because so much had been delayed. You know, by the time we were shooting, it was April of 2021. Basically, everything was suddenly in production. Like our film started production the exact same time that Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret went into production. They had been delayed for a long time. I think the same thing was happening to everyone that we were wanting to interview. We, I feel like we could have gone to anyone and asked, did you read Judy Bloom books growing up? And chances are they would have said yes. And But we wanted to have a range of, of experience and, you know, types of material it inspired and, you know, mix of authors and actors and TV creators. So it, it ended up being a kind of really, really nice mix of voices and perspectives. But the thing that everyone had in common was that like at some point, they were a kid or actually an adult because Jason Reynolds told us he didn't read Judy Bloom books until 
he was older and, and realized he wanted to be a writer. But, you know, at some point they were all sitting alone in a room reading a Judy Bloom book. And that was sort of everyone's a reader. It's sort of like this idea of thinking of, you know, they're not expert interviews, they're they're reader interviews. And they're they're coming, they're coming to the film with with a very personal perspective. And especially given the the context of the fact that her books are continuing to be banned in the present day, it feels extra important with the fact that you included current day kids who are in school and who are growing up with her books in this generation. And I was interested in how looking at your own kids and their relationship and response to her literature in the present day kind of informed those interviews because it's them acknowledging that there's certain things that they read in the book that feel kind of dated or, you know, it's not familiar technology to them, the idea of dialing a phone, for example. Um, But then also they turn around and it's the emotional core is still what connects them immediately to it. And so I was interested in how, you know, your own kids' responses influenced the the necessity of that, as well as the conversation about, you know, book banning and showing how influential and important they still are to kids these days. I have a couple of thoughts about that. One is Alex Gino says in the film, something that I hadn't really thought about, even though I was parenting young kids at the time. I mean, they're still young-ish. Um, they said you know, their agent told them that anything written like 10 years ago to a kid is historical fiction because they weren't alive 10 years ago. And so that happened in the past. That was before their lifetime. That's historical fiction. And I think their acknowledgement of kids are so in the present and, you know, their life experience feels so contained to what they're going through right now um, helped us think about how kids might perceive the books today, but how you're right. It's that emotional core. It's those questions that every kid still asks themselves. Is what's happening in my body normal? Is what I'm feeling about my sibling normal? Is what I'm feeling about my friend, my complicated feelings about my friends? Are those feelings normal? Um, Are these fears I'm having normal? Are these um, desires I'm having normal? Is this like feeling I'm getting in my special place when I masturbate. Is that normal? All these questions that kids have now, had then, will continue to have forever, I guess, until AI takes over the world. Um, those feelings are are what keeps Judy's work so relevant. And still, in some ways, I don't know how, but still that radical honesty sometimes still feels groundbreaking. Like there are still so many layers that we all throw, you know, filters that we throw on top of our true selves, layers that we just layers of everyday living that we throw on top of our true selves and interacting with each other and and, and thinking about ourselves. And I think because Judy just strips away all those layers of BS and just gets straight to the emotional core. I love that. I'm I'm just using that phrase now, the, the emotional core of who we are. And I think that's why kids respond so strongly to her characters and her stories and why we respond so strongly to the way Judy tells those stories on screen. I mean, it's it's a really beautiful film in the way that it completely captures so many aspects of her legacy as a writer and, and everything that she's kind of connected with people over years. Um, so congratulations on a wonderful film. And thank you so much to both of you for talking about this with us today. Thank you. Thanks for your thoughtful questions. <laughs>